All right, so we are continuing in our series, right, on spiritual discipline. And so for the past two weeks, we have been uh, covering the discipline of Bible intake. And we said that Bible intake is the primary way where God wants to reveal himself and speak to us, right? And so we covered hearing God's word, and this is how God wants to reveal himself to us, the hearing of God's word, uh, the studying of God's word, the reading of God's word, the meditating of God's word, right? The memorization of God's word, and then the applying of God's word. And we say these were the primary ways that God wants to communicate with us. Now, as much as God wants to reveal himself, speak to us, communicate with us, God also wants to hear from us, right? And that's an amazing thing, that the creator of this universe, the king of all kings, he wants to hear from you. He gives us his listening ear, right? He wants to hear from us. He's given us the ability to communicate with one another. Then why not give us the ability to communicate with him? He's given us the ability to be relational with each other. Then why not give us the ability to be relational with him? He's given us the ability to share all of our hearts, our pains, things that we're excited about, things that we're frustrated about. He's given us the ability to share all of those things with each other, then why not give us the ability to share those things with him? Right? God made us in his image. And if we are relational people, that would mean that God is a relational being as well. Right? And that's the beauty of Christianity. Christianity teaches us that we can have a relationship with God. He desires to have a relationship with his people. And like any other relationship, whether it's friends or whether you're married to someone or whatever that relationship may be, in order for that relationship to be deep and lasting, there needs to be ongoing, honest, and open communication. There needs to be consistent dialogue or else that relationship will not last. And I want you to think about that, right? For example, marriage. One of the reasons why marriage breaks down and you have divorce, it's not because of infidelity or it's not because of breakdown and, uh, and, and all these other stuff or financial issues. One study says 67% of marriages end primarily because of lack of communication. And even if you're not married, you know this too, right? Most of your friends from high school or some of your friends in college, you're probably not friends with them anymore. And it's not because you had this breakdown or this big fallout. It's probably because you don't know how to return phone calls, <laughs> right? or you don't know how to return text messages, or maybe they don't, right? So we know this. Most of our relationship require these ongoing consistent relationship, or ongoing consistent dialogue. And so this is the same thing with God. Our relationship with God won't deepen or survive if we don't have a consistent dialogue with him. And this is why God gives us his listening ear. This is why God wants to hear from us. He wants a deep relationship with us. God is eager to hear from you. He's eager to hear from you. And this is what's so beautiful about Christianity that is different than all other religion, right? Our God is not a deistic God. Our God is not a God of deism. What does that mean, right? Deism is the teaching that God created the world, he organized and designed everything in it like a machine, and then he just removes himself, right? He just removes himself. And so he's like an absentee father. He's an absentee God. 
And so what he does is he distances himself from creation, and so he doesn't care or intervene about the problems of this world, and maybe once in a while he'll come and kind of help, but for the most part, he stands us up, right? And so he leaves us to figure things out on our own. And most people today would not call themselves deist, but the way that it looks like practically in our lives is when we say things like, we can live our best life now if we just do these five principles. Or we can live out our dreams if we just do these things. Believe in ourselves and you can do it. If you can dream it, you can achieve it, right? Nike philosophy, just do it. You can do it. All of these self-help, self-improvement ideologies that we see on TikTok, Instagram, from influencers or motivational speakers or we read from books, all of that, the root is deism. Because it's the idea that you have control over your life and you don't need to involve God because God is not going to show up. Just pull yourself up by your bootstrap. Elevate yourself. Right? And so most of us will not admit that we are deists, but we think this way. And it shows up when we don't prioritize prayer. And so... The question I want to ask you today is, do you pray? And by that, I'm not asking you if you have a mindless monologue when you wake up in the morning, right, or before you eat, or before you go to bed. You're not having this verbal performance. But do you pray? Do you get real with God? Do you open up with him and share with him all of your hearts, all of your concerns, all of your frustration? Yes, all of your excitement. Do you get real with God? Do you pray? Right? Prayer. Prayer simply defined. There's no big theological definition for prayer. Prayer simply defined is talking to God. Talking to God. It's the intentional relationship with God who's an absolute person. When we pray, we don't pray to the universe. When we pray, we don't pray to our ancestors. When we pray, we don't pray to a divine power or a divine force. When we pray, we are interacting with an absolute person. Right? God is an absolute person. And so this is why for us as Christians, we don't believe in a theistic God. We believe in a theistic God, which means that God is intimately involved in our lives. And this is what Psalms 46.1 says. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present, present help in trouble. And then David says in Psalms 139, where can I go and hide from your presence? And then what he's talking about is God is intimately present in everything, every area of our lives. And so he's not a God who stands far off or an absentee father, but he's a very present father, intimately involved in our lives. And this is why the incarnation is at the heart of Christianity, right? Because what the incarnation teaches is that the God of your universe is not somewhere far off just kind of watching. But no, he intimately comes into our world. He takes on the form of man whose name is Jesus to walk closely alongside of us, to talk with us, to share in our burdens to understand what we are going through. He's not an absentee God. He's very present, intimately present. Where in your life do you want this incarnation for God to be intimately present? Where in your life do you need that? See, many of us right now, we have these goals that we kind of set like in the beginning of the year and then as we're looking at these goals, and it's probably like 22 days, and you're like, ah, oh, 
I can't do this, <laughs> right? And we're overwhelmed by so many different things that probably already is on our plate. And then some of us are probably feeling like, man, can I really do this? Can I really accomplish all of these? Can I really take this on? Can I really start this own business, my own business? Can I really lead a team? Can I really be over uh, uh, my home and be a stay-home parent and then also uh, uh, homeschool my kids? Like, can I really be financially stable and buy my... I mean, you're looking at all these great goals that you want to accomplish and you're looking at it and you're like, I'm overwhelmed with the ability that's in me to do it. Can I really do it? And when I think of that, even for myself, I think about, man, can I really lead a church? Can I really pastor at Blueprint? Because I know in me, I have a lot of insecurities. I know in me, I have a lot of deficiencies. You already hired me, so you're stuck with me. So, (laughs) but here's the thing. We look at ourselves, and I look at myself, and I think, man, there are a lot of people who are wiser than me. There are a lot of people who are more eloquent than me. There are a lot of people who have all the great qualities that would make them a great leader. Can I really do this? And for me, I know I can't. And this is why I want to draw so near to God for him to be present with me because I know in myself, I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes. And you know what, I never want that feeling to go away, this feeling of desperation for God, this feeling of dependence for God, right? Even when I step on this stage, I feel like I wanna pass out sometimes, and I'm like, yo, Lord, why did you call me to this, right? But I never want those feelings to go away because the moment those feelings of desperation and dependency go away, that's the moment that God, God becomes absent in my life. And I think that's the same thing for us. We need to be desperate and needing of his ever presence in our lives. We need this incarnation in our lives. And so prayer is how God draws near to us and how we draw near to him how his spirit comes down to us and how our spirit goes up to him, right? So prayer is the exercise of breathing in God's grace. It's the exercise of breathing in God's grace. We breathe in his grace that comes down and then we breathe out a cry for help, right? And that's that exercise. We breathe in and we breathe out. And this exercise of needing God's grace is necessary. Every single thing that we do. And it's impossible to live the Christian life without that exercise. And so to be a Christian and not pray is to be self-reliant. And then we know we're not self-reliant people. We need oxygen. And so to be a Christian and not pray is self-reliant, where we don't need God's presence, we don't need God's power and provision, that is impossible. You will only drown in this world that's filled with problems. You will only drown in your pride if you don't breathe in God's grace. And this is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, give us this day, this daily bread, this daily sustenance. Because a day without prayer is a day without breath. And so to live a life without prayer is impossible for the Christian. And so do you pray? Now listen, I don't want you to walk away feeling guilty or shame about your discipline of prayer or whatever that may look like. And if you're not praying, you're not praying consistently. I don't want you to feel ashamed. But I also, at the same time, want to urge you to see that prayer, the same way that we talked about Bible intake, prayer is very crucial. Very crucial. This is your spiritual oxygen. 
Prayer is critical. It's a critical discipline we practice every day to draw God's power so that we can live the life that he has called us to live, the life that he has intended for you to live. And so I don't want you to see prayer as an obligation. What I want you to see is prayer as a privilege. We don't pray because it's a duty. We pray because we get to. It's a privilege that we have to pray. And I think once we see clearly that this is an invitation to come into the presence of a God who is worthy, most worthy, that would be your motivation to pray. And you would be obsessed to pray when you see the worthiness of who is inviting you to pray. So this week, I saw where Chris Brown right, the singer, um, was charging his fans $1,000 to take pictures with them, right? You go to a concert and you can pay $1,000 for one pose and one picture, right? And he made a lot of money from that. And so I thought to myself, self, right? You know, you have college loans, you have kids, three, you got mouths to feed, you need a side hustle. <laughs> this seems like a pretty easy side hustle, right? Charge people $1,000 to take pictures with you. So I went to my wife, I said, wife, right? I'm gonna start a side hustle. Chris Brown is charging people $1,000 to take pictures with them, I'm gonna do that. And my wife shot it down. She said, Carly, you're not Chris Brown. You don't look like him, right? You can't sing and you have no talent, right? And so I'm like, dag, you know? But then she was like, hey, she, she did say it actually. But then she's like, oh, but I'll pay $1,000 to take pictures with you. And I said, I'll charge you two because of that, right? So, but here's the thing. Essentially what she was saying is that, listen, these celebrities have an assigned value to them. We assign value to celebrities, right? Because we would pay thousands of dollars to take pictures with them, or thousands of dollars to go to Coachella, thousands of dollars to go to a concert, right? Because we assign a value to these celebrities, right? And that we would pay $1,000 to be in their presence. But then we see a God who is assigned greater value than Chris Brown or Beyonce or whoever your celebrity would be. He is the one that's inviting you into his presence. Right? And it's free. It's free and it's limitless. Right? So God is assigned this value that he is greatly to be praised, he is worthy, and he invites you. It's when we see who is inviting us to be in his presence is when we see the worthiness of God, we would be obsessed with him, and we would be obsessed to be in his presence. And the reason why we're not obsessed with him is because we don't see his worthiness like we should. We don't see his worthiness like we should. And man, we read this in Hebrews where God says this, right? Listen, you don't have to go through securities. You don't have to set up an appointment. He says, God gives us the permission to come to his throne room and draw near to him with confidence and draw near to his throne room of grace. Like you don't need to set up an appointment or pay thousands of dollars. He's like, come free limitless into my presence. And I think it's when we see the worthiness of God, that would not be an obligation. That'd be a joy, that'd be privilege. And we would be obsessed with that. All right, so we spent a lot of time talking about just the definition of prayer, and I just wanted to kind of frame that because now we're gonna jump into Mark chapter one. And now here's the thing. I mean, you can spend a whole year talking about prayer. And so pretty much in about, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes left, 
right? We're just scratching the surface to what prayer is, right? And so we don't have time to go deep into what prayer is, but what I want you to see and walk away with at the end is here in Mark chapter one that Jesus prayed. The God of the universe that took on human flesh, he prayed. Jesus prayed. Jesus had a spiritual discipline of prayer. Though he was powerful and perfect in every way, we see that he still prayed. Have you ever wondered why he prayed? Why Jesus prayed? So we read in Mark chapter 1, and uh, if you're taking notes, kind of like we talked about, bring a notebook, pen, highlighter, take notes. I would encourage you to go ahead and highlight verse 35, right? And it says, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. And so Mark chapter 1 has about 45 verses, right? And then verse 35 is probably the most important verse out of those 45 verses. Because we see from verse 1 to verse 45, if you read it, it's like an action movie. There's so many different things that are going on. And in those 45 verses, so many things happening before verse 35 and then after verse 35. So many powerful activities just swarming around this verse. And so it's like you can't even breathe because there's just so much going on. Verse 1 through 3, for example, we see John the Baptist. He's preaching in the wilderness, and, he, and then he starts preaching all over the place, and people are coming, and then we see John the Baptist now baptizing in the wilderness. He's baptizing, and then he's preaching. Then Jesus comes, and then Jesus gets baptized, but then in verse 10, we see the heavens open up, and then preaching is happening again because God is preaching to the crowd. And then after Jesus uh, gets baptized, we see now the Holy Spirit comes and takes Jesus, and he throws him in the wilderness, and now Jesus is 40 days and 40 nights. He's like wrestling with temptation with the enemy. And then now you see after that, then the Holy Spirit takes him out. And then now Jesus comes out of the wilderness. He's preaching again. And then again, we see Jesus is preaching to the disciples. He's going to the synagogues and just so much preaching and activities that's going on. Then you get to verse 23 and 28. Now Jesus is casting out demons. Right, he's doing a whole bunch of stuff. And then verse 29 to 30, we see he's like healing the crowd. Then you get to verse 30 through 35, like after a long day of just so many different activities that Jesus is doing and things that are happening, he comes into Simon's house and just for like a quick 15 minute break, he's like, man, I'm, I just wanna rest, right? And then we see Jesus sits, he reclines, and then not long after that, Simon comes. He's like, hey, Jesus, kind of like with the Kanye voice, like before you, you know, finish resting, I just want to let you know my mother-in-law is sick. Can you heal her, right, before you rest? He brings the mother-in-law to come and to be healed. And then he goes through a whole night of, again, healing and casting out demons. And then verse 35, and this is where we see this pause. Now Jesus rested, but then early in the morning, Jesus woke up, and while it was still dark, he left the house, he went away to a secluded place, and he was praying there. He was praying there. And then we see not long after that, Simon comes again. He's like, Jesus, where did you go? Like, you're taking a break? Like, you can't take a break now. Everyone needs you. He says, hey, where did you go? Everyone is looking for you. Everyone wants more from you. Everyone wants you to do more. Right? Do more preaching. Do more miracles. Do more healing. Do more baptism. And so, as we look at this text, like, isn't this how life is? Like, isn't this how life is, where life could seem so demanding at times, constantly wanting more and more and more and more from us? Constantly, there are demands that are required of us, and so much so, it feels like you can't rest or you can't breathe, right? 
where life could be so, want so much from us that we just can't rest. I think about life like a mom and a newborn, right? The moment that this mom feels like, ah, let me close my eyes and rest, the baby wakes up three o'clock in the morning, want to feed on your flesh, right? And this is how life is, constantly want to drain and drain more and more from us. Life could drown us in problems, and it may be not, not just your problems, it could be problems of others, tragedies, your kids get sick, our family members get sick, loved one passing away, and you still have to work, wake up and go to work. You still have to wake up and meet your assignments and do what is required of you. You still have to carry on your responsibility. And so like Simon said to Jesus, you can't take a break. Where can you go? You can't check out. More is required of you. And so the thing is, as long as we are breathing, we can't escape the demands of life. And the demands of life could sometimes seem very exhausting and very draining. The demands of life could pull us in so many different ways where it could seem too much to carry. Like, can you relate to Jesus right now? I want to show you something. Um, I want you to imagine that this is your life, right? So this is your life. And so for many of us, the beginning of this year, man, your life started out with full of hope, full of expectation, joy, because, man, you're so excited about what life is bringing into your life. Maybe, for example, a lot of good things are happening in your life, right, where you feel like, man, this life seems good, right? I got a new job. It's going good. Maybe you're in a new relationship, family, marriage, all that is happening and it's going good, right? Maybe you got a new promotion. You know, things are going good in your life where you feel like, man, life is full right now. And just maybe good things, maybe some challenging things, but it just seems like, man, you know, life is full. But then here's the thing, too. Um, even with life, right, though it may be full, um, here's what happens. This is you, and this is life that's going to require a lot from you. And so you have a lot to give people, your kids. Right? Think about it. Your kids, they wake up in the morning, they want from you. Right? Or maybe you go to work. You love your job, everything is good, but then you got that annoying person at work that's draining you, like no one here, right? Um, that's draining you, draining your patience, draining your love, right? Maybe it's school, like needing more of your dedication because you want to finish that degree, but, or maybe someone in your life gets sick, and then although you got so many great things, but then you also have to deal with all these other problems in your life. And then what's happened is, this is your life, but then you also have so much that you have to give. And then you give, you give, you give, you give, you give, and then at some point what happens is, this becomes you. Health issues kick in, and then I have, like, starts draining. Man, you thought you were going to be financially stable, but then your car breaks down, and you're like, okay, man, that saving is gone. Right? And now this is you. So many different things pulling at you and draining you. But then what do you do when you find yourself on empty? What do you do when you can't pour any more from this cup? And then you realize now that you're empty. And then people expect more of you. More is required of you. But then you can't pour any more from this cup. And then this is what we see in verse 35, where Jesus saw it necessary 
even for himself to stop, to stop and acknowledge that you can't pour from an empty cup. You cannot pour from an empty cup. So even Jesus saw this and he recognized this in his limitation, right? In his human body, he could not live apart from the Father's presence. And so he had to pause and go to the limitless resource to fill him back up because you can't pour from an empty cup. And so he was dependent. He knew he was desperate for the Father's presence. And so he had to stop, and not just stop, but then he had to go to be refueled, to fill him back up, to continue this God-sized assignment that was required of him. It's a God-sized assignment that is given to us. There are times where we do have to stop. Stop all of our doing, stop all of our doing, and just be. Just be in the presence of God. Because the work that God is calling you and I to do, this work is beyond us. It's so beyond us that we cannot keep running on empty. To pour out, you have to be poured in. But here's the problem. This is what we do. We are giving this God-sized assignment to live this Christian life, right? To walk in holiness, to be patient, to deal with tragedies in our lives, right? God gives us this God-sized assignment where we need his strength. And this is what Ephesians 6 says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? And then we read in Acts where God is saying, like, I will pour out my spirit upon sons and daughters to do great things like prophesy, He's saying, like, I want to pour in you. Every day he's calling you to demonstrate, like, his character to your coworkers when they're annoying, to be patient. But how do you do that? I need more of God to be patient, right? He's given us these God-sized assignments to make him known. Every day he's calling us to forgive. Every day he's calling us to deal with tragedies. Every day he's calling us to fight sin. And those are things that we don't have in our own strength. Those are God-sized assignments so that he could be known. This is what we are called to do as Christians, to live as Christ's example, to imitate him, to carry our cross. And none of us could pull that off in our own strength. But this is what we try to do. We try to do it with the small droplets that's left in our lives, right? We're trying to right, find small strength in our lives to do this God-sized assignment, and we see that it's impossible. So we're constantly trying to find strength in our own power, but then it's just droplets, or we're empty. While God is saying, come to me. Let me fill you, and I just fill you. There'll be an overflow. How do we get that? We see it's through prayer. Prayer. And we see, here's the thing. Jesus could have maximized sleep. After a long day, you may be like, ah, all right, I'm going to sleep till 12 o'clock because it's a long day. But then we saw he woke up early in the morning while it was still dark, People are still sleeping, right? He didn't find, like, strength, or he didn't let Netflix be what refused him, or hanging out with friends be what refused him. But he saw prayer was what I needed to be refused. And so Jesus woke up early in the morning while people were still sleeping, and he spent time with the Lord, time with the Father, And we see time with the Father is what brought out a personal revival in Jesus. Early in the morning, Jesus went to a quiet place to pray. And we see that prayer is not just us just trying to get something from God. And I want you to hear this. Prayer is not trying to get something from God. Prayer is trying to get God into us. Right? Prayer is trying to get God into us. 
Stop trying to do it on empty. When you have a limitless resource available to you. Now, I want to give you some application to what we just read. Jesus woke up in verse 35 to pray. Three things we see. One, Jesus woke up early, early, early in the morning while it was still dark. And so this time is between 4 to 6 a.m. before the sun is up. And then so he left his house and then he went to a secluded place. And there he was praying. And so what we're seeing is Jesus is prioritizing prayer. He prioritized prayer. And not just that, but then he prioritized a place. And so for the first thing that I want you, if you're taking notes, the first thing that I want you to write down is prioritize. Just prioritize prayer. Don't make prayer something that you do when you need it. Don't make prayer kind of like a second, right? Uh, Make prayer something that is crucial and first in your life, right? And so we see he prioritized prayer. He didn't neglect prayer. And so Jesus embraced the morning. So he didn't try to just sit and maximize the morning because he was tired, but we see that he gave his best energy, the first fruit of the day, to meet with the Father. Give your best energy. This is your first fruit when you wake up. The morning is your first fruit, and you want to give that to the Lord, right? I read a book that says, okay, very little evil happens at night. So like if you're making prayer just your nighttime, like you're trying to ask God to help you in your dreams pretty much, right? Because very little happens. So if you're making prayer just like the time where you're going to sleep and that's it, right? He's like, no, make prayer be your first fruit so that it can fuel you up for the rest of the day. Right, so prioritize prayer. Give your first fruits to God. Don't give your first fruits to TikTok. Don't give your first fruit to Instagram because we do that. I do that. I wake up in the morning, I roll over, and I'm like, ah, oh, let me look at my phone. And then I end up being on my phone for 30 minutes looking at Instagram or checking my emails or whatever. 30 minutes, and then now it's time to take a shower and get dressed and go to work. But in that time, I could have been spending with the Lord. So prioritize prayer. Wake up in the morning. All right, dedicate in the morning to spend time with God. And know that he has called you to a great work today. And so that great work needs to be fueled. You need to rise early to fuel for that call. Two, prioritize a place. Verse 35, he says, he got up and then he went to a place. He got out of bed, right? He got out of bed. He went to a place, somewhere to play, somewhere he designated, somewhere quiet to play. So find a regular place and be consistent with that, right? Find a regular place that you can wake up. Maybe it's your patio. Maybe it's your porch. Whatever it is, maybe it's a closet, right? Find a place that can help you be consistent, Right, that you can go and play. And the point of that is just find a place where you won't be distracted. Maybe you just go lock yourself somewhere and then you just, for about 30, 35 minutes, so you won't be distracted. Set an alarm, wake up, go and meet the Lord there. Consider it like a date, right? Um, I remember my wife, this is something I got from my wife. And she would tell me, and I shared it with you guys, I have a date with Jesus, don't call me, right? And so the point of that is have a date, have a time, have a place where everything is shut off and like you know, and people in your life, whether it's family, kids, husband, whatever it may be, friends, roommates, like this is my dedicated time, I am meeting with the Lord. And then in your mind, because there's an expectation that God is meeting me, I'm meeting him, this is our date night or date time, I'm not going to stand them up, right? And again, don't be legalistic about it, right? But if you have it in your mind that I am meeting the Lord at this time, the king of the universe at this time, you want 
You want to be on time, and then you want to show up, right? Set it in your time and build that routine in your life. Time, place, um, and be consistent with that. So Jesus got up, Jesus went to a place, and then he prayed. He prayed. Use a prayer structure. Now, we provided um, an acronym for studying the Bible. Here's another acronym that you can use for prayer. Um, P-R-A-Y. P-R-A-Y. Pray, repent, ask, and yield. Pray, repent, ask. Praise, repent, ask, and yield. Praise. Begin your prayer with praise. Right? Address God in a way that lifts him up. Right? And this is the model that we see even in Jesus' prayer in Matthew chapter 6. The first line in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus says, This is how you are to pray. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Hallowed be thy name. Praise your name. Right? Begin your prayer with praise. And what you can do to help you with that, right, is in your prayer, use the book of Psalm. Right, to help frame your prayer, right? Help prepare your heart to pray. And so as you're reading the book of Psalm, read, you could read a chapter before you pray and then look through the book of Psalm and to see characters about God that you can praise him. Does that make sense? And so read the Psalm, look in the Psalm and see characteristics, attributes of God in that Psalm and use that and pray it back to God. Start off with praise. Use the book of Psalm to help frame your prayer. Um, Two, repent. Be real with God. Be real with God. It's not time for you to try to be all theological in your prayers. It's time to be honest. Right? And don't be afraid if you think your prayers are not right or good to pray to God. God already knows it. And so even if you feel like, God, should I, I'm angry at you. Oh, no, I can't say that because I'm not supposed to be. God is like, be real with me. God is big enough and he's not intimidated to receive our honesty. He's not. And he invites that. And we see that throughout the Psalms where God invites the psalmist to be real. God, I don't understand what you're doing. I don't understand why my father passed away. I don't understand why we prayed and nothing happened. Like, help me to understand. Right? God, I prayed and it seems like you said no. Or I prayed nothing is happening. God, help me to understand. Be real with God. All right? And so pray, repent, right? Be honest. When in your repentance, God, I confess my sins. I confess my sins. I may not understand, right? Help me to understand. Confess my sin. God, I want to be real. This is what I'm struggling with. Help me, right? In the confession of our sins, One, what we are doing, we're trying to remove anything that's hindering us from becoming near to God. But at the same time, in our confession, what we're doing also is celebrating his promises. Right? Because even in our confession of sin, God, I need you. God, I've fallen in this area. But in our confession, what we're also reminding ourselves is that Man, we are forgiven. God is with us. He is for us and not against us. His blood, right, has covered multitudes of sin. And so even in our confession, don't walk away feeling ashamed like, God, I don't get this, or God, I've blown it here. It's an opportunity as well to walk away celebrating because I am walking away knowing that this is the God who still wants me. Even when I am broken, with all my flaws and all, this is a God who still wants me. So even in your repentance, it's also a time to celebrate. Be real with God. Three, ask. So pray, repent, ask. 
Pray for ourselves and pray for others. And when you ask, again, don't be afraid to ask big things to God because God is a big God. And so he is open to hear all of your asks. And then this is what we read in Psalm 65 where David says, right, God is a God who hears prayers. And then I love this verse in 1 Peter uh, 5, verse 7 through 9, where Peter says, we can cast our cares on him because he cares for us. And if you're looking for a verse to remember and memorize this week, 1 Peter 5, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. All right? Ask, pray for others. Um, Pray for families, pray for your friends, pray for the church, pray for your pastor, I need it. Pray for the gospel. Um, Pray for the nations. Um, Here's a couple thoughts. One, you can map out your week where every single day could be dedicated to an ask. So like Monday would be, I am praying for the church. Tuesday, I'm praying for my family and my kids. Wednesday, I'm praying for the nation. Thursday, and then that helps you keep your prayers focused, right? Or you can use different things like, so my, my, my wife and I, we use what's called the Joshua Project for our kids. And so before dinner, we would open this app. You can download it on your phone. It's called the Joshua Project. And it lets you know all the different people groups that exist throughout the world that don't have access to the gospel. And so when you open that app, you see all these people that need prayer and that needs missionaries to come and bring the gospel to that nation. And so you can pray Thursday, I'm praying for my missionaries, right? And so you can map out your prayers like that so that you can be focused um, and remember, these are the days that I stay um, on, on these asks. And then not just that, keep a prayer journal. Right? A lot of times we do this, right? We tell someone, I'm praying for you. And then five seconds later, we totally forgot what that prayer was, right? And a lot of times we tell people, I'm praying for you, and we don't follow up. And so keep a prayer journal that helps you remember your prayers so that when you do pray, you want to go back to that prayer journal and see how God answered that prayer. And then that gives you an opportunity to celebrate in your prayers, And then that gives you an opportunity to go back to that person and say, hey, how did God answer that prayer? How can we celebrate together? So keep a prayer journal so that you can remember those asks and ways that you can be praying and intercede for others. And then why yield? And this is where you want to pause and to listen to what God is saying. A dialogue is both ways, right? We talk, but then we pause, we want to listen. And so in that time of yield, you want to pause and hear from the Lord what he's calling you to do, how he is calling you to respond, how the Holy Spirit is encouraging you to move. And so for a bonus, um, pray with a prayer partner. So you use the PRAY acronym, praise, repent, ask, why, and then you can pray with a prayer partner, right? Pray with a prayer partner. Um, to hold you accountable, pray with the church. Every Thursday, we have online prayers that you can join, and you can pray online with the church. Um, Beginning next month, uh, first Saturday of the month in the morning, we're going to be gathering to pray together. Um, So we used to do it on Wednesdays. Uh, but now we're going to do it once a month. So first Saturday of every month in the morning, more information will be online. You can come and pray corporately. You can come and pray this evening, right? Because this evening we're having a prayer night. So those opportunities that the church is offering where you can come and pray corporately, those help you in your discipline of prayer. All right, and so for time's sake, um, the last thing I want to say in terms of prayer Um, And again, there's so much that we can talk about prayer, so much that we can say about prayer, but the last thing I want you to remember, which is also so important, is that prayer is warfare. 
Prayer is warfare. And I don't want you to ignore the reality that exists that when we pray, this is warfare, right? And Dahadi talked about this last week, Ephesians chapter six, where he said, this is, this is the warfare that we're in. We're not wrestling against schemes of the enemy. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against cosmic powers, against darkness, against spiritual evils that exist. So prayer is warfare as well. And when you go home, I want you to check out this passage in Daniel chapter 10, right? And this is a passage where it just kind of gives you, it peels back, right, the curtain to see the warfare of prayer. Daniel, for 21 days, he was fasting just like we were doing. 21 days he was praying to the Lord. And in 21 days he didn't get a response. And then eventually an angel came to him and said, Daniel, from the very moment that you started praying, the Lord dispatched the answer, but we were at war. Michael and the angels were at war with the prince of Persia that hindered us from coming to you. And I was able to free up to come and give you this answer, but I have to go back to continue that war. There's a war that's happening where we need power from God through prayer. So prayer is fighting on your knees, and I'm sure you've heard that before. Prayer is war because there is a spiritual world that exists, and you cannot fight that world with physical powers. And this is why we need prayer. We need prayer. But at the same time, we know this victory has already been claimed. Yes, we are fighting in a war, but this is a war that's already been won. On the cross, when Jesus died, when he resurrected, the Bible said that he crushed the head of the enemy. The enemy bruised his heel. There will be bruises that we will experience in this world. We will experience bruises in this world, like family members dying, or all sorts of bruises. But the battle has been won. And we have to walk in that victory. We will see injustice. Yes, we will. But the battle has been won. We will experience pain, but the enemy's head has been crushed. So to walk in that victory and to walk in that power, we need to pray daily. We have the victory. We have the power. It's available freely. But we have to be the one to run to that power to be refueled. It's ours. It's free. And it's in Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.